Well, the game went about how we hoped over the weekend against Eastern Washington, and the score is exactly what I think Oregon needed and what I thought they needed going in. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked on Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster and lifelong Oregon Ducks fan. Thank you for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. Like, comment, subscribe wherever you're listening to or watching the show. Thank you to everybody out there who has done so and helped me get to 1,000-plus subscribers and climbing on the YouTube channel. Keep smashing that subscribe button. Today's episode is brought to you by Underdog. Sign up on underdogfantasy.com with the promo code locked on and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Okay, it was not all bad. No, I'm not upset about how the game went over the weekend overall, but was I overwhelmingly thrilled? Uh, the answer was no, particularly in uh, that first quarter. And The biggest takeaway I've got from this game is that, look, it was a confidence booster. Is it get right game? The Ducks are back in the top 25, which is probably a little premature, but it was the final score we needed. Saw all three quarterbacks. I'll get to Ty Thompson a little bit later. I know you all want to hear about my thoughts on that, I'm sure. And the confidence boost is is legitimate, but I I want to start with what I I didn't like, and then we'll kind of get that out of the way, because there was really just one area that that had me concerned and that was the offensive execution early in this game now you might be saying well Spencer what are you talking about the offense scored on uh, their first four or five however many touchdown drives it it was like they they were moving the ball they were doing fine they got on the scoreboard on all those drives but they were not as put together as I was hoping they were coming off of that Georgia game what I noticed in the Georgia game on both sides of the ball was that it didn't look very well put together and buttoned up. The screws weren't tightened. The hatches were not battened down. Every other metaphor that I could come up with here in that sort of realm. On both sides, the defensive play calls were late getting in. They weren't prepared. There were missed assignments, all that sort of stuff. Offensively, the Ducks came out, and yeah, they ended up getting into the end zone. But largely, that was because, in my view... They just had bigger, better players, and they were able to overcome some of the shortcomings from an execution standpoint. There were a couple missed blocks on uh, some running plays, though overall they ran the ball well. And again, we saw a lot of different running backs in this game from Oregon. But to me, what was concerning was after week one against Georgia, where I'll give you some leeway, you're playing a tough game, first game with new staff and whatnot. But now you had another week to prepare and another week for everyone to gel at practice And there were still several plays early in that game where the offense just looked kind of discombobulated and guys didn't know where they were supposed to be. And it was fine for Eastern Washington because Oregon had such a big talent gap. It wasn't going to matter whether or not they're executing a high level. But this week, we've got a top 15 opponent coming to Autzen. You can't get away with that sort of stuff. You, You just can't. And that was a concern for me where they was that concern alleviated a little bit as the game went on sure but the fact that that's how you came out and started it's one thing for that to happen in the middle of a game when you're off script and you know because offensive coordinators tend to script the first series and how they want it to play out in a game and the different plays you could run like they have a set idea of what's going to happen there and you rehearse that at practice all week 
when it happens on the first couple of possessions where the offense is just not quite firing on all cylinders, it makes me a little bit concerned. Because if we come out and are looking that way against BYU and we can't figure out where people are supposed to be and BYU has an opportunity to potentially capitalize on it the way Eastern Washington could not, then there are going to be problems. That was my biggest concern. Was really the only downside, though, other than Seven McGee getting hurt. Really hope that uh, he's okay. They're doing uh, a nice job, I think, of featuring everybody in the offense that they can. There's so many talented playmakers on this team, as we know. We've been talking about him all season long, or all preseason long, rather, leading up to uh, when games have actually begun now. But I I just I I think that execution's got to be at uh, a little higher level. And look, there were just some moments. Take Terrence Ferguson's first touchdown. Take both of his touchdowns, frankly. Neither of those plays are touchdowns against BYU. Neither one. The first one looked like the play call was kind of late getting in or guys were scrambling around and then we got it to him and he got a great block from Sean Dollars, but then he just stiff armed a guy to the ground. Could he do that against BYU? Yeah. Is it going to be as easy as the Eastern Washington player? No. And then at the end of the half, Troy Franklin runs a a little spot route. The play is designed for the halfback wheel. They take it away. We check it down underneath, and Troy Franklin makes a couple guys miss, goes into the end zone. He catches that ball short of the goal line. You have to run that route to the goal line or at least at the one because you can make the Eastern Washington guys dance around you and miss while you dive in for the touchdown. But if you run that play at the end of the first half against BYU, it's getting stopped on the one or two-yard line. It's just a reality of the competition gap that exists between the FBS, particularly a good FBS team like BYU and an FCS team like Eastern Washington. So those sorts of little things have me a a little concerned, but the rest of it, there was a lot of good. And and overall, you look up at the scoreboard and I saw this on the faces of the guys who were playing as well. They were having fun, man. Bo Nix was having fun. Ty Thompson was having fun. Everybody was having a good time. And that's what you needed in this game. That, that is what you need. You got, excuse me, the final score that you were looking for, 70 to 14, the final first time in a couple of years, Oregon's put up 70 plus points on any opponent. That was encouraging to see the offensive line dominant uh, because of course they were, they were really good uh, against Georgia for the most part. And they should be that way for the rest of the season, even without Ryan walk in there, they've got Steven Jones and Marcus Harper as the guards. Harper is filling in and doing a more than admirable job at that particular position. But there were a lot of good things that, that we saw in this game. And Bo Nix spreading the ball around was certainly one of them. And uh, later in the episode, I'll get to the uh, the top standouts on, on either side of the ball. They really mostly came on uh, offense because I think Eastern Washington just didn't execute highly at the defensive level or at the offensive level. And the Ducks defense was given a couple breaks where the Eagles should have converted, but they just didn't complete a pass or made a bad decision or anything like that. But um, what what I like about this offense right now is I don't know if they're doing it deliberately because it's the game plan or if they're doing it deliberately because they're trying to see who their best options truly are. There was not a lot of Dante Thornton in this game, which I found to be a little peculiar. I like that we saw a bunch of Troy Franklin, but I I think this staff is making a concerted effort. And Bo Nix has you know, clearly been told this by Kenny Dillingham as well, that you're not locking on to one guy here, right? Make the right read, make the right play. And that's how an offense operates at its best is when the quarterback is not forcing the ball to one or two particular guys. Think back to 2018 with Justin Herbert and Dylan Mitchell, that offense that put up really good numbers, played some bad opponents to inflate those stats, 
struggled at times, like on the road at Utah and at Washington State and down at Arizona as well, because they really had just one option that Herbert could rely on in the receiving core, and that was Dylan Mitchell. But this receiving core is much more talented, right? Hudson, we know, is a good player. Troy Franklin had a great game. Terrence Ferguson is living up to the hype that I've set for him here on this show leading up to this 2022 season. Maliki Matavau had a catch. Cam McCormick got in on the action. Did anyone feel better in that entire game than when Cam McCormick caught a touchdown? I don't care who the opponent is against. He's out there wearing Spencer Webb's jersey. RIP as always. He scores a touchdown for the first time. Here's a great stat. Since Willie Taggart was the head coach. That's how long it has been. He is a team first guy. He's also a pretty good football player. We get caught up with him talking about the, the, the team first approach he has as an individual and all the attrition he's gone through with injuries. And it's just been a brutal battle. And, and he's grinded out with Oregon. He's also a solid football player. He can block. He's a big dude. He's got good hands. And you see him catch and run in space. He does that uh, very well. More to come on the offense because they uh, they did get the ball to a number of playmakers. I'll talk about who those sorts of guys are after I remind you this episode is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. They have an emphasis on an easy-to-play format so you can win money while you watch your favorite team Play. It's easy. You can win cold hard cash in a single game. They have investment backing from Mark Cuban, Kevin Durant, Adam Schefter, and more. And customer support team, they are top notch, the absolute best in the business. Go to Underdog. There, you can sign up with the promo code. Sorry, I botched that. Uh, sign up with the promo code Locked On, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. Deposit $100, get $100 free. Go to UnderdogFantasy.com or find the Underdog Fantasy app in the App Store or Google Play Store. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code Locked On, two words. Get in on the college football pick 'em action today. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Okay, so I, I like that the confidence is there for Oregon on both sides of the ball. The defense, you know, allowed one drive. And the, the, there's a concern with the defense I'll, I'll get to after I, I kind of finish up on the big picture in the game. This is how you wanted the score to go. Yeah, Seven McGee got hurt, but you didn't have a starting offensive lineman hurt. The defense came away healthy. Bo Nix is fine. Like Overall, yes, I would have preferred Seven stayed healthy, but this was about as good of an outcome as you could have had for the Ducks. But as I've been talking about, still just a lot of little things that you can uh, that you could improve upon. But I like that he's getting the ball around because watching that, that Oregon team I alluded to earlier in 2018 – you knew that Herbert was looking to one guy on third down. And I don't feel that Bo Nix is really doing that. But I do also sense that he's developing chemistry with these guys and trust in them as well. And Kenny Dillingham, the play caller, to, to go through his progressions a little bit. And look, yeah, he did it better against Eastern Washington than Georgia. And BYU is going to be probably smack dab in the middle of those two opponents uh, from a competition standpoint. 
But, you know, we, we've seen them try to get Hudson involved and seven McGee had touches and Troy Franklin. We saw Dante Thornton against Georgia and Ferguson and Matavau. And there are other guys. Chase Coda uh, as well has been involved in the offensive game plan. And, and that, to me, is a really good sign that all of those guys who we talked about this offseason are are getting involved. And it, it just gives you a multitude of weapons and a multitude of options. And nowhere is that more true in the running back position. I mean, my goodness, I think this is just part of the philosophy, maybe certain guys at any given position group are going to start to emerge. And this staff looked at these first two games and said, let's get everybody as involved as possible and see who really pops and who the best playmakers are. But I don't know, kind of seems like we're going to see four running backs again, and I'm okay with that. Fresh legs out there. Everybody brings something different to the table. Um, I like the way Bucky Irving runs the ball. We might need to stop throwing him the ball because he doesn't appear capable of catching it on a consistent basis. And we have guys who can do that. Sean Dollars and Byron Cardwell, uh, most notably. Whittington uh, probably can too. He was in an air raid system at Western Kentucky last year. But um, I, I was encouraged by the, the confidence that, that everyone was playing with and, and the fact that they, they did end up putting up the sort of score we were hoping for. And then everyone was waiting for it at halftime. And Bonex played a couple series in the third quarter. And then finally, the weight lifted off the chest of Oregon fans everywhere collectively. Ty Thompson got in the game. Oh my goodness, it's a miracle. It's a miracle Ty Thompson got in the game. I thought he should going in. I saw the score at the half and I said, yeah, he should play in the second half. And he did. And I'm here to tell you, I don't have a big, long analysis on what Ty Thompson showed or did not show. He executed a couple relatively straightforward throws, made a couple reads, Nothing too fancy. I don't know if he throws the most catchable football in the world. The incompletion he had, I believe it was to Kyler Casper. He probably should have caught the ball, but it kind of had that downward trajectory to it. That was the only throw that stood out, but the other ones, they were crisp. They were on target, and they should have been, right? Nothing was an incredibly challenging throw or an incredibly challenging read. And I, I felt that he came in and looked the way a backup quarterback should, but... Was it enough for me to look at it and go, oh, well, if Bo, uh, Bo's leash is going to be a little bit shorter now? No. The answer is unequivocally no. The leash for Bo Nix is the same. And this game against BYU is going to be the best barometer of how we should feel about him as our starting quarterback. Because I'm not in the camp that Bo Nix should be the starter no matter what for the entire season. I am in the camp that Bo Nix should be given a reasonable chance. And look, everyone was all happy when Ty Thompson got in the game. But you can't look at what he did and say, see, he, he is ready, right? Look at the throws he made. He's on target. He's got the big arm and whatnot. His arm's a little stronger than Bo's. You can't look at that against the same opponent where Bo Nix tore it up for a career-high five touchdowns and executed the offense for the most part at a pretty high level. And he had some really good crisp throws, by the way. One in particular, I think it was a third and eight, and he went uh, near hash mark to the far sideline to Troy Franklin, who ran a really nice route. Franklin had an excellent game, by the way. Uh, he had 10 catches for 84 yards and a, a touchdown as well. First duck since Johnny Johnson the third in 2019 against ASU to have 10 or more receptions in a game. That was really good to see because if he starts to pop, I think he can become an all-Pac-12 caliber wide receiver. But 
going back to the quarterback situation, n- nothing's changed, right? Was I glad that he played? Yes, I was. I want him to have as many reps as possible, should, God forbid, something happen to Bo Nix and Ty Thompson is forced into action. I want a backup quarterback to be ready for those sorts of situations. And I, like you, want to see what we might have there and whether or not he's progressing at a rate that allows him to potentially be Oregon's starting quarterback one day. But there was nothing, I repeat, nothing in that game that led me to believe, oh yeah, Ty's ready, let's just abandon Bo and uh, and jump ship at this point in time. The answer to that is no. It could happen. Bo would have to play very poorly over consecutive weeks, several consecutive weeks. But right now, Bonix is a starter. It's going to stay that way, and I, I think that it should. Let's get to our top offensive standouts from this game against uh, Eastern Washington. Defensively, I felt it was a good team effort for the most part. You know, a couple moments where, uh, you know, Jamal Hill got caught flat-footed and a receiver beat him pretty badly, worse than uh, he should have been, and it was an incomplete pass, forced a punt. And, And that's back to what I was talking about at the beginning of the show. When you're playing Eastern Washington as Oregon, when we've been recruiting the way the Ducks have been for the last four years, tops in the Pac-12, and they are again right now in the 2023 cycle, you're playing Eastern Washington. You shouldn't have to play your best football to win big. And I don't think Oregon did play their best football, and they still won big. The concern I have defensively, before I get back to the offensive standouts, because I do want to touch on this before I potentially forget, I'm worried about getting pressure on Jaron Hall on Saturday. That is a very real, legitimate concern. Stetson Bennett was not really touched. And we did not have as much pressure on the Eastern Washington quarterback as I would have liked. And if you can't get to Jaron Hall or make him uncomfortable consistently, he'll tear up the secondary. Because we saw against Georgia, secondary is kind of the vulnerable spot on this Oregon defense. But the way you help a secondary is with a strong pass rush. Probably the biggest question I've got uh, going into uh, this game against BYU upcoming this week. But uh, top offensive standouts, Terrence Ferguson. Oh, my gosh. I've been a fan of that guy since he got to campus. I watched him last year, and he was just one of the three tight ends. But then every time he made a play, I thought, man, guy's got some big-time athleticism out there. He's got good hands, too. He's also a solid blocker. Like, man, that looks like a pretty good football player. I don't think he's the blocker that Maliki Matavau is. But I think he's kind of a blend of all of Oregon's tight ends uh, a little in that he's probably the most well-rounded because he played wide receiver in high school, so he's the best route runner of the group and he had a couple touchdowns and that was just a dude going out there and making football plays now is it different playing against eastern washington than it will be against byu this week yes of course but am i glad to see that he's involved in the offense also yes of course because i talked about before the season that bo Nix a year ago i already forgot the name of the auburn tight end but he set some individual and auburn tight end records That's a position that Bo Nix has some history of having success with, having a little chemistry with. And I always thought Ferguson could be the leader of that group from a receiving standpoint and develop that sort of dynamic with Bo Nix. We started to see that play out over the weekend. I hope it continues because he is a really versatile, dynamic, big, strong, fast, physical athlete. I think he's a really good looking football player. Will not be surprised if we get him this year and next year, and then he's off to the NFL. I I think he's got that sort of potential and he flashed that over the weekend. And I hope we get to see that again this week against the Cougars. And then again, uh, going forward, more offensive standouts are coming, but as you gear up for fall, you need to highlight 
and hire the right people on your team to help your small business fire on all cylinders. And LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Then add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to Hire. Every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn to help the f- help you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash college. That's LinkedIn.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Troy Franklin, big offensive standout over the weekend for Oregon. We just haven't seen a lot of guys who can rack up double-digit catches, but Franklin's versatility... I think he's the most well-rounded receiver Oregon has. Thornton, you know, I haven't seen him uh, run the entire route tree uh, the way that Troy Franklin has, where I, I've seen Franklin go over the top, like in uh, the Alamo Bowl and last year against Colorado. He can win one-on-one on, on some inside slant routes or little zig patterns. He can run a comeback, a deep cross, shallow cross. Like, he can really do everything. And he's put on a little bit of weight, it looks like, from a season ago, but He's got good hands. He's an instinctual football player. He's got good yard after catch ability. I will not be surprised if he becomes Bo Nick's favorite target along with Chase Cota, who is just solid and reliable. I mean, everything that we wanted Chase Cota to be when he announced he was transferring to Oregon, I think he has been so far. And that's a really encouraging sign because as guys like Franklin start to emerge and realize their full potential, you're still going to have some ebbs and flows, ups and downs with guys like Franklin or Hudson or Seven McGee or uh, Dante Thornton. You know, we saw Kyler Kaspar, but it looks like he's further down on, on the depth chart at this point in time. Someone like Chase Cota, who is just reliable, who can play anywhere, who's willing to block uh, as well. That's a really important thing for wide receivers. Speaking of Johnny Johnson, the third, one of the best blocking Oregon wide receivers we've ever seen. He was exceptional. I think it was him, Keenan Lowe, probably Jeff Mail, and and Josh Huff. Maybe Braylon Addison, too. Those guys were all probably some of the best perimeter blockers we've seen come through uh, at Eugene. But I I really like what I saw from from Troy Franklin. Um, I I was not surprised to hear that we hadn't seen a duck receiver amass 10 or more receptions in almost three years. Because it just hasn't been, we, we talked about a season ago, and all this offseason, the wide receivers were underutilized. And I would love to see this continue to be a trend where you have a receiver, whether it's Thornton or Franklin or Coda, that every, or Ferguson, frankly, that, that has eight to 10 receptions a game or, or is in that sort of neighborhood. Because these are the sorts of guys you want to be getting the football to because they're, they're really good explosive playmakers. And I think Franklin uh, showed that this weekend and is continuing to develop as his career goes along. And he's going to get a bigger test this week against BYU. Everybody is. But I think number 11 is going to stay a focal point of the, the Oregon receiving core for, for Bo Nix as he distributes the ball around. Uh, another standout offensive line. Again, kind of expected, but uh, Bo Nix was kept upright basically the entire day as they should have been. We ran the ball well with every running back that was there. I will say another one of those little details that I was talking about to lead the show. How many times is a running back going to trip on Bo Nix's feet? There were, I think, three different running backs who did. I know Irving did it, Whittington tripped, and I think Dollars did once as well. You can't afford those little things when you're playing BYU against Eastern Washington, doesn't matter, but you've got to be crisp. 
You have to be sharp in your execution because it can come down to just a handful of plays. And if you have a second and four at the BYU you know, 10-yard line or, or, or whatever, and a guy trips and you lose a yard instead of picking up three or maybe even the first down, and then you throw an incomplete pass, kick a field goal, that's four points off the board. And it's those little moments that can make the difference in a game. And they've got to be they've got to be cleaned up and the execution has to continue to improve on uh, the offensive side of the ball. Defensively, Christian Gonzalez had an interception is probably the easiest interception he's going to have in his career. The first of his career, though. So shout out to Gonzo. And I hyped him up pretty, pretty solidly here on the show going into this year because he was getting some NFL draft buzz that was a little under the radar. I think he's lived up to it. I think he performed well against Georgia. He was really good in this game. I don't know if he got beat in a one-on-one situation. A guy like that really shouldn't. Um, I'm sure it happened maybe once or twice, but I've really liked what I've seen from him so far. Still got questions at the other cornerback position. Still got questions at safety. Jamal Hill, Bennett Williams, both at strong safety. Yeah, all right. I I feel fine and and solid there. And if you want to slide Bossa back there, who's also – Kind of let me down uh, through the first couple of games. He's missing a lot more tackles than he did uh, a season ago. And Oregon needs him because he's a much better pass coverage linebacker than uh, Justin Flo or even a, a Noah Sewell at, at this point in time. But I, I think defensively, Oregon did fine. Like they, they did well. Got to find ways to get pressure because that has been a concern of mine coming into the year. That has played itself out so far. And Stetson Bennett torched them. And Jaron Hall... May not have Georgia's weapons, but that dude is an NFL caliber arm talent. And if you let him sit back there and slice and dice you, he, he'll <laughs> give you the business. And then some. It is really not not something Oregon can afford to do. Got to be able to create pressure this week. Guys like DJ Johnson and, and Braden Swinson, Brandon Dorless, you know, anybody on the interior as well. Casey Rogers, Jordan Riley, Sam Taimani. Like some of these guys have got to be able. Mace Funa comes off the edge as well. Got to be able to to create some pressure because Oregon has just struggled with that so far. Thought it might be an issue. Has been to this point. Hopefully that changes. Another offensive standout was Sean Dollars. I, I think that's clearly Oregon's best pass-catching running back. And this is another guy that I was high on coming into the year. And he is, I think, performing very well. He looks healthy. He looks explosive. He's running the ball well. He catches the ball well. Again, much better than Bucky Irving, who I think should be almost exclusively limited to, to running situations. Maybe he just has the early season drops and needs to figure it out. I don't know, but it's tough to watch Irving go out there and, and drop passes when you have guys like Dollars and Cardwell who have really good hands. And I think Dollars is the best pass-catching running back. I love that play where you know Bonix gives a pump to this side and uh, Dollars slices across. He cuts Bonix's face, goes into the flat, and it's basically a de facto screen. You know, you get the defense flowing this way, then you throw back over here. I think it's a beautiful play for Sean Dollars, and I, I like what Irvington and Whittington both show with their physicality between the tackles. I think Cardwell has got you know still the good patience and speed. He did better finishing his runs, but I think that that's something he he can still improve upon to get those extra couple yards at the end. But I have no reason to believe we're not going to continue to see a lot of Oregon running backs. And we've never seen a four-back rotation before. I've never seen a four-back rotation before. Most I've ever seen really is three. You know, when you had like a LaMichael Kenyon and then DeAnthony was in there too. 
sometimes, but mostly it's been two and we're sitting, we're looking at four right now, but I, I feel good about all of them in, in their own way. And I, I think we should expect to continue to see that. But overall, Oregon needed a get right game. They got a get right game back in the top 25. I think that's a little premature. I think they needed to win this game against BYU first, but it doesn't change the facts of what's coming. And that's a top 15 opponent to Autzen Stadium where Oregon has now got a 10 game winning streak. Keep packing the house, keep shouting, and I will see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.